Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today, we got a Q&A. I haven't uh, shouted out some of the, the sponsors, I feel like, in like three episodes because we just start going off. So, uh, real quick before we do get into the episode, I want to make a couple quick uh, shout outs. First one being to First Form, the supplement sponsor of this podcast. Head over to firstform.com slash tailoredcoachingmethod.com. Not .com again. One.com before the Tailored Coaching Method. I just picked up my monthly stack. Uh, I got the stress relief, uh, the sleep aid, the greens, the reds, the multi, the whey, and the fish oil, um, and the rocket pop pre-workout, Damn. which has been fire. You know the, uh, what are the pop rocks? No, you remember those uh, those popsicles that were shaped like a blue, red, uh, red, white, and blue? Yeah, of like course. Popsicle? Yeah. It's that flavor. Mm. I don't know what flavor that is. Yeah. What were those like, called? Like, there's not like a, fr- they're called rocket pops. Are they? Yeah. I thought they were called firecrackers. No. Firecrackers are, uh, aren't those the, oh, that's pop rocks. Remember those? You put them in your mouth and they start popping like crazy. Yeah, that's pop rocks. Pretty sure they're called. Hmm. Bomb pop. What is that? That's what we're talking about. Huh. Maybe they call it rocket pop just to avoid because <laughs> they can't call it bomb pop. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm assuming that's what it is. But I don't know what flavor that is because it's not a fruit, but it is it is good. Uh, I haven't had to stock up on creatine because it's been. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So it depends on the brand. I guess. Popsicles are called firecrackers. Yeah. Well, whatever the other one was is what I used to get. Oh. Knockoff brand. Oh, it's not even popsicle brand. Didn't yeah. even realize that. Yeah. That's popsicle is like Kleenex. They're smart. When you when you set the trend, that's just what you call it. It's like Kleenex. Everybody says, "Can I have a Kleenex?" Really, what it is is a, it's a tissue. Yeah, tissue paper. But Kleenex is the brand. Is the brand yeah. that like conquered? I actually read about this. There's a bunch of those kind of brands that they like dominate the space so much that you don't even call it what it actually is. You just call it by the band, yeah. like Band Aid. Yeah, to it. Yeah, that is a <laughs> what if there fucking was a, brand. What if there was, whoa, what? What if there was a brand called computer? <laughs> yeah, no shit. Did you buy, yeah, a, did you mean, buy a computer? <laughs> I don't even know what a band-aid is actually called. It's called a band-aid. No, band-aid is the brand. I didn't, it, it's an adhesive, like a, a okay, a recovery adhesive strip. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I mean, band-aid was, the, I'm assuming, the first one to make it. Yeah. Band-aid is a word. Yeah. In the di- dictionary. Huh? Well, man, I'm pretty sure they started a piece the whole of, thing. of sticking plaster of type having a gauze pad in the center. Oh, yeah, gauze pad. That's the word I was thinking of. Sure, yeah. Not adhesive. I mean, there's the adhesive on there somewhere. Yeah. But um, I think sticky note's another one of those, too. I think sticky note is just sticky note. Like, I think that's the brand. But mm. that's what you call any piece of fucking paper that has sticky shit on it. So, anyway. Yep. Shout out to first form. <laughs> uh, then giant lifting. I had somebody, uh, uh, a client of ours uh, that lives in the neighborhood, text me today asking me, he was like, give me your honest opinion. Uh, is Rogue worth the extra money not to throw Rogue under the bus? I like Rogue. I have some Rogue stuff. And their shit is good. Don't get me wrong. He's like, is it worth the extra money or should I just go with Giant? And I'm like, I'm not just saying this because we're affiliated by Giant, but you should definitely just go with Giant. I mean, you're going to save money and you're going to get 10% off if you use TCM10, which yeah. you, listeners, you can use that too, 10% off. But, I mean, they came in here and replaced so much of our stuff. and It's legit. It's legit. I mean, we are it's very training nice. on it every day. It's not doing anything. I mean, it's there's no... And trust me, 
Cody is bougie, and if it shit sucked, he would say, yeah. "Sorry, guys, we don't want it." God, I hate to say I'm bougie, but I am, and some especially with or gym just stuff. like just like nice stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Especially, but especially gym stuff. Yeah. Like I really don't like I want good equipment. Yeah, hundred percent. That's why we started with Rogue. Exactly. Yeah, because they were the. I mean, they were they were the one, but. Yeah. Giant was really smart when they came in and did what they did. So uh, giantlifting.com, use TCM10. You can save 10% off. And uh, last but not least, the most important and biggest sponsor of the podcast, Tailored Coaching Method, online coaching, obviously. Uh, head to tailoredcoachmethod.com. Click the yellow button if you want a free strategy call. It is risk-free. It is financially free. It is a chance to talk to a coach and figure out if what we do is right for you. And I can probably guarantee if you're listening to the podcast, it is. Yeah. If you want to lose weight, if you want to build muscle, if you want to change your body composition, if you're ready to transform before summer and finally get in the body that you want to spend the summer in, click that yellow button, talk to a coach for free. Let's get started. So now that I've gone off on the sponsors and rock and pops, yeah. band-aids, <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive into some questions. Let's get it. All right. The first one, it says, I got my personal training certification and dream eventually doing my own coaching. Do you have any advice for new personal trainers or coaches wanting to start out working for a company? I'm not sure where to look or even apply. Thanks for all your content. You are truly inspiring. Thank you. Get it, Cody. Um, <clears throat> shit, where do you start? Man. That's, that's the word right there. Yeah. You just start. Yeah, 100%. I mean, anywhere. Like, um, So you just got your training cert. You're an inspiring coach. You want to build your own coaching company someday. And you're asking, where do you start from a standpoint of working with people, I believe, right? I mean, that's essentially what they're, they're getting at. Yeah. So, um, honestly, I think you should just, like, there's no, there's no best first gym to work at if you're going to be in-person trainer. And there's no best. Just, just the experience. 100%. Like, I don't care if you go to, you know, Gold Gym, LA Fitness, uh, EQ or whatever's over here now in Auburn, the mall. I don't know if that's just out here, if it's a chain. Um, Equinox is a big chain. But, I mean, just go find a big box gym and just work there. Yeah. You know, whether it's a chain or whether it's one location, it doesn't matter. Like, wherever there's a place where you can be in the gym atmosphere and you can work with people one-on-one, that's where you should go. Even if it's a performance gym. Like, it doesn't have to be in LA Fitness. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's even better. Yeah. And, and, I mean, ultimately it depends on. So, the only thing I would say there is most likely a a legit performance gym is not going to hire you. Um, With Shadow. Maybe shadow. Yeah. yeah. But like when I think performance gym, it's almost always like a lot of sports performance. You got to be, unless this person has like a degree, a four year degree in strength and conditioning, yep. you know? Um, but if you're just an inspiring coach and you want to have anything like what we do or, or we have, then I would say gym pop is probably the route you want to go. Cause that's just everyday people. And that's what your the, the predominance of your career is going to be is working with everyday people like that. So go work with anybody you can get, your hands on honestly and work with um, any gym, any place, uh, any online coaching sp- space as well. Like um, whether it's a, a super large company or it's uh, somebody more small like us, where we're more of like a, uh, a boutique style company where we uh, I would say are more exclusive and don't plan on being some conglomerate, like massive company. Cause we do, value building relationships with our clients and working very individual and one-on-one and, and having a lot of connection with our people. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, like I know for us, like we're, we're not hiring right now, but when we do, we start looking well in advance and then we take people through a three month internship that is unpaid. So usually when you go for companies like ours, you do have to plan on 
kind of working for free for three months, but it's not really work because it's a lot of study. It's a lot of practice. It's a lot of testing us testing you, you being around the environment on the calls and the meetings, stuff like that. Um, to see if you fit the mold, you know, and then from there. Case studies. Yeah, exactly. And then from there, obviously, we can move forward. Um, but nonetheless, I think that uh, the big the big thing is that you just get out there and get experience. Start helping as many people as you can. Go to gyms. Go to seminars. Do whatever you can. Post content. Engage with other people's content. Um, I think that's a very underrated thing, too, is just getting on social media and posting stuff and commenting and DMing and asking questions and downloading eBooks and getting your presence out there. Yeah. And just consume as much as possible while you're doing it because there's so much free information and really cheap information. Like we don't sell any eBooks anymore, but like when we did, they were dirt cheap and the other people who do, you know, like a good example, like Jeff Nipper, Jeff Nipper has a really great YouTube channel. He's a really smart guy. Um, you're not going to be able to work for him as a coach cause that's not what he does. But he has a bunch of ebooks, training programs, stuff like that. Just go consume his shit and go buy his twenty dollars ebooks or whatever they are. You will learn a ton. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean that's my advice. Just get out there. I don't think there's any right answer to this. Uh, my advice is to not overthink it. Take any opportunity you can and get the experience. Totally simple. Cool. All right, we will move on to the next question. It says, uh, "I'm 44, going to be for." 45 this year, and I feel like I'm losing the muscle I've built and not seeing results like I used to. I spent the last year at maintenance calories and tried a cut and tried a cut back in October and saw very little change. Just wondering what is the best way to tackle a cut now that I'm in my mid-40s. Should I go into more drastic de- deficit or go slow and maybe start off at 10% deficit? Um, so I think that... Uh most likely it would be best to be a little bit more drastic with it. I find that the more advanced somebody gets, the more, eh, I don't even know if I would say advanced. I I definitely say people who are advanced would fall in this category, but also people who have, have dieted before who have tried it multiple times and who have, I mean, they've gone through it, you know, they've, they've cut, they've bulked, they've tried to diet multiple times. They've successfully dieted multiple times, whatever it may be. Most likely you're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive. You're going to, go into a more drastic deficit, like you said, um, in this question. And that would be more like a, at least 15, if not 20, 25%. And sometimes what I do in this scenario is I will actually go for a 20, 25% deficit. And then after I create the deficit, I increase protein above the typical one gram per pound. So, and I do that after the deficit is created. So let's say I create just for easy math, I create a 400 calorie deficit, but then I add a 100 calories of protein. Yep. Now it's a 300 calorie deficit, technically. But protein is going to be a little bit, it's not a free macro or free calorie, but it is going to be different. It's far less likely, damn near impossible, potentially impossible to store as fat, especially in, in normal amounts, um, especially when you're in a general deficit and you've lowered carbs and fats. It's more thermic as well, and it's going to help preserve muscle better. So I like creating a deficit before increasing protein if I'm going to increase protein. But I say that because when we go into a drastic deficit or an aggressive deficit, muscle loss isn't more likely to happen necessarily because typically what happens is is the the thing that's going to cause more muscle atrophy or or muscle loss is is more likely the amount or or the length you've gone in the deficit. So rather than being aggressive or slow, it's like, now you've been in deficit for six fucking months straight, or you've been in deficit and your protein's too low, or you've been in deficit and you're not training with enough volume. 
which doesn't need to be super high. But if you're not training, like if, if people who are sedentary or people who just aren't training properly go into a drastic deficit and they don't train, especially if they don't have enough protein, but if they don't train, that's another signal for muscle protein synthesis. So just like we need a little bit of extra protein when we go into an aggressive deficit to make sure that muscle protein synthesis is up, muscle protein breakdown is down, we need strength training in the same capacity because both of them do the same thing. Yeah. Both of them increase muscle protein synthesis and both are really, they're super important. They're required in order to maintain muscle. But I think a lot of people stress about muscle loss. You're not going to lose muscle unless you're super lean already. If your body has a good amount of fat to lose, you're going to lose fat. You're not going to start stripping muscle off your body. It's just not going to happen. So um, it's not something that you need to worry about really. Uh, unless again, you're just, you're eating half as much protein as you need, or you're just not strength training, which I doubt is the, the reality of this, this person's question or, or is the reality for this person based on the fact that you listen to this podcast and you're asking this question yeah. in this way. Um, but yeah, in general, I, I mean, the, the, I guess the, the question is essentially, should she go into a drastic deficit, right? Is that it? Yep. Okay. So um, I would say probably, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and if your body's more stubborn, that tells me you probably don't have a ton of fat to lose. So it's probably better to be more aggressive and do it for a shorter period of time or break it up into multiple cuts. So like, uh, for example, I have somebody right now that we just put into a cut starting this week and we went through a decent fat loss phase. He stripped a good amount of fat on, and then we went through a gaining phase and he put on a lot of muscle and now we're going back into a cut. So he's been working with me for well over a year. And so what we're doing this time is we're going into a cut and we are going to be a, a little more aggressive and we're doing it for at least six weeks and upwards of nine weeks. And, and we communicated through this. So we periodized it in a way where it's like, we're diving in, we're going to be pretty aggressive if we get ahead of the game and we're losing pretty rapidly, we're going to stop at six weeks because I don't want to overdo it because if you overdo it, that's when you potentially lose muscle. Right. Um, and on the other side, if we don't overdo it and we just kind of coast and every week is productive, but it's not like too fast, we'll push it to eight or nine weeks, depending on his diet fatigue. Then we're going to take a diet break for probably a month totally. up to six weeks. So now his cut might be 20 weeks long, but it's broken up into eight for eight, right. Or six, six, Eight. I'm yeah. not going to say six again, <laughs> but um, point being is we periodize it out. So now he's getting after it, being pretty aggressive. And then he does a diet break and then he comes back into it. Um, obviously there's other ways to do diet breaks too, where you can be super aggressive for three weeks and then take one or two weeks off and then cycle that a bunch of times. But if, if somebody, if I'm not worried about somebody's adherence, I, I like going, Hey, let's get into it and let's stay in it for a solid period of time. And to me, a solid period of time is over a month for sure before taking a diet break because most likely you don't need the diet break um, physiologically and physically based on what we know about research now. It's more or less just you just need it from a mental perspective. Yeah. So, yeah, I would I would probably be drastic and, and just be just be cautious. In, increase your protein to, to at least one, if not like one point anywhere between one to one point five at the most grams per pound of body weight per, per day. And then make sure you're strength training and you're not going to lose any muscle. Dope. Yeah. Cool. All right, we will go move to the next one. We got, says, I just purchased the Female Physique 2.0. Let's go. I have a few questions on how the training program works. First off, do you want me to do both questions or do you want to do one at a time? Let's do one at a time. Okay, first one, it says, for the RIR, should I be focusing on the RIR for each rep or the amount of reps that you have list, listed to complete? Mm. That's a good but kind of confusing question. Um kind of confusing because I've never thought about it that way. Um, so uh, a couple things. Number one, 
she's talking about the program that is in Train Heroic. So apologies for some of you listening that, you know, this keeps getting brought up. But we have a whole bunch of people jumping into it. So there's questions coming in about it. I'm doing the program. Um, so it, it's it's the talk of the town right now. <laughs> um, and uh, again, we launched this just as a way to bridge the gap between now and when the new app is out, which I'm super excited about. But this is a it's a great program. There's four variations of it. So there's there's two female ones and two male ones. There's female physique and female physique 2.0. And there's the power builder and the power builder 2.0, which are men's programs. I'm doing the power builder 2.0. So if you want to follow along, do it with me. Jump on um, $97 and it'll cover three entire months of training, which is dirt cheap. Um, and if you are a current member of the of Taylor Coaching Method, you're working with one of our coaches on nutrition, you would get half off that. So it would only be like 40 some bucks, which is ridiculously cheap for 12 weeks programming, which I did on purpose because I just wanted to be able to give uh, give the listeners and the audience and, and our members something until the new app comes out since we had a delay. So go check that out. And if you are a, a client or you want to be a client, apply for coaching, talk to a coach, get set up with nutrition, and then jump on this program for dirt cheap so you have the, both, uh, the best of both worlds. Now, the way I program usually is a, uh, uh, I don't know, it's not always descending, but it's like a, a, a fluctuation or a fluctuating RIR across sets. So what I mean by that is typically you will see different RIRs throughout the whole uh, um, exercise, or you will have one. So to answer your question, literally, before I break down how this works, so just people who aren't running the program can at least get something out of it too, um, to answer your question specifically, you would do that RAR each exercise, not across all the sets. The reason for that is because something like, for example, a barbell bench press, if that's a compound lift. So on that, you will see me program. If it's four sets, it'll say, for example, it's not always this way, but usually it's something to the effect of RAR three comma two comma one comma zero or three two two one if i don't want you to go failure and what that would mean is on set one you leave three in the tank set two and three you leave two in the tank and then on the last set you leave one in the tank or if you're going to failure it would be a zero at the end and that means you're taking the last set to failure the reason i like doing this is because as the sets prolong you are going to get closer and closer to failure because if you do a two rir the whole time and you realize on your fourth set that you probably weren't shooting high enough yeah then you just lost potential gains. And it's important that you progress load as the sets go on or you add reps if needed. So if it's four sets of eight and it's uh, RIR three, two, two, one, and you have, for e just for easy numbers, 200 pounds on the bar and you do your eight reps and you're supposed to have one rep left in the tank and you do your eighth rep and you're like, I definitely have two or three in the tank. Do two or three more reps. Do two more reps and then you have one left in the tank. Stop. Now you got 10 on that set right? It's programmed as eight. So yes, you fell out of the range of four sets of eight, like I programmed. However, what's more important than eight exact reps is getting close enough to failure because we're chasing body composition changes. So when we're chasing muscle growth specifically, we want to get closer and closer to failure as we fatigue without going all the way to failure, mm. unless it's a very easy isolation exercise. That's not going to cause any lingering fatigue or aches and injuries. So on a set of uh, four sets of bench press, I want you to get closer and closer to failure until your last set. Um, we're going to push the fatigue on that muscle as far as we can without hurting ourselves. And then we're going to move on to the next muscle or the next exercise. But if you leave a bunch in the tank, then you left reps on the table, yeah. you know, and you only know that if, if you're tracking and, and measuring. Now, if this causes you to screw up the rep range. So again, you go to 10 reps because you realize you had more than one in the tank on your last set. I would rather you do that and then write down in your app as you're going through this program that you got 10 reps and that in the notes you can put 
underestimated my RIR or something like that, underestimated my load for the RIR prescribed. Now you can go back into it next week and go, okay, I did 200 pounds, and on my last set, I thought I was going to go to one rep left in the tank, but I actually had like two or three and ended up doing a couple extra reps. So I'm going to go 205 or 210 because I know I have more than I realized, right? And it's a learning process. So typically, like, for example, in this program, it's a 12-week block. The whole first block, you might fuck up all the rep ranges <laughs> if you never used RIR. But I, I've had uh, one-on-one clients that will spend shit a whole month if not more on learning how to use RIR properly because it's it's more important to take time learning it and utilizing the RIR scale properly so that you can gauge your intensity because we know based on research your effort in the gym is the most important thing relative to getting results yeah. right especially with hypertrophy and muscle growth right which is what we typically do we work with people on body composition changes more than anything it's still really important for strength because that's how you gauge really like how hard you can push it without overshooting or overtraining and under recovering. But with hypertrophy, it's more important to get closer to failure because we want to tax the muscle in order to create maximal adaptations. So with these people, we're typically like, hey, let's spend the first month like doing ranges. So even if you see in the program that it says eight, like consider that it's more like, I know this sounds crazy, but five to 10. It's Mm -hmm. a big rep range. But if you underestimate, you can go over your reps and still reach that level of RIR and that intensity needed, the effort needed in the gym, or you can overshoot your load, right? And under, undervalue your RIR and end up doing five or six reps yeah. with a heavier load, but you're still close to failure because your body doesn't go, oh, I'm going to maximally adapt from a hypertrophy stimulus because he's doing eight reps. Yeah. They know you're pushing yourself close enough to failure to ch- create change in that adaptation, right? So the stress response is the stress response, whether it's six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's why any rep range does work in order to get you to your goal. The The semantics of that gets a little crazy because people will talk about, well, you can do three reps then and still grow. And yeah, you can, but you'll be at the gym all day because you got to do 10 sets just to get enough volume, which just burns you out, right? Yeah. But if we're talking in that five to 15 rep range, it's pretty rel- It's pretty similar. It's more exercise specific. So some exercises I might say, hey, stay within the five to eight. Some might be eight to 10. Some might be 10 to 15 based on the type of exercise it is. But nonetheless, the big key here is that um, you're not going to get it right. And usually it is broken down per set, not a total set. So the only way that we will look at it from, per her question, do I look at the RIR for the whole, like all four sets and one? Yes, if the RIR is just one number. So, for example, if it's a dumbbell lateral raise and it says RIR 0-1, it means being within 0 to 1 reps in reserve on all sets. So, I don't care if you start with 25 pounds and end up with 15 pounds because you you went too heavy on the the weight or you end up doing um, 20 the whole time because you gauged it perfectly and then the first couple sets you have one left in the tank and then the last couple sets you have zero and you go to failure because it's a dumbbell lateral raise. It's a an isolation exercise, which is primarily why, in my opinion, the best way to to program isolation exercises is using a double pro, double progression method. And that's where you'll see in my programs, it'll say dumbbell lateral raises, 10 to 15 reps, RIR zero to one. So you can kind of gauge your the weight needed because whether you do 10 reps or 12 reps or 15 reps, you're going to grow just as well as long as you're doing the movement properly, you're targeting the muscle properly, and you're going close enough to failure to create enough stress and therefore enough of an adaptation to grow from what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, and again, that's where like in going on with like any exercise, that's how I do it, whether it's a hip thrust or a, a hip abduction or a glute kickback on the cable machine. Those are all lower body isolation exercises. I'll do the same thing because 
All I care about is staying within some kind of rep range, targeting the muscle properly and taking it close enough to failure to cause the adaptation we're after. Yeah. Right. So, um, it's kind of avoiding getting into semantics in a way and just prioritizing the level of effort you need per set. And sometimes again, it's a descending model. So it might go four sets and we're doing three, two, one, zero, go to failure on the last set. And that gives you four sets to accumulate the, the weight you need in order to take it to failure. If we're trying to stay on that eight to 10 rep range, or it's like you start with a weight that is, you know, you do eight reps with three in the tank and you try to get 10 as the sets progress, or maybe because fatigue settles in, you stay at the same weight for the same rep the whole time, but it allows you to get closer to failure. Cause sometimes people will, I had to drop my weight on the last set because I was getting tired and it's like, well, shit, getting tired is not bad. If you're getting closer to fatigue and closer to your maximum, uh, effort level, that's a good thing. So yeah, the fourth set's going to be way fucking harder than the first set. That's That's on purpose. If the fourth set is just as is easy or is, is not more difficult than the first set, you didn't go heavy enough. Yeah. You know, you didn't progress enough. So I would rather somebody push it hard enough to where their RIR is gauging properly. And even if that means they keep the weight the same, as fatigue settles in across four full sets, they get closer and closer to failure by staying at that weight and staying within that rep range. So very loaded question. but It's a great question. It is a really good question. Yeah. I think it's semi gets into semantics, but I think that's the importance of following an actual program or having an actual coach because they can really guide you on this stuff. And, um, I, I fall victim to this where like, I, I will be sending my loom videos to clients on their check-ins and I'm like, I'll go off like that on one fucking answer because they'll ask a, a simple question. What do you think I should do for this? And I'm like, well, here we go. Yeah, here we go. And it's, it's, I have to give that much context because it depends on the situation and it depends on the personality type and the exercise that we're, we're doing and the rep range that we're within. And if we're trying to go all the way to failure or just close enough to failure, you know, it's, there's a lot involved. Yeah. So. But some people just say, just tell me, yeah. dude, <laughs> just tell me what to do. Yeah. They don't only because I think people, there, there are definitely people like that. And yeah. I, and I think that's fine too. Um, but we do a good job of assessing individuals yep. before they start. And it's like, what kind of person are you? Yep. Do you want me to just be a straight shooter and tell you what to do? Or do you want the full Back, answer? Yeah. You know, so I know when to zip the lips and go do this yep. and when not to. To get better results. Exactly. Cool. All right. Let's move on to the. Was that uh, both parts? I think she had two parts of the question. Oh, right? you're right. Yep. Part two. All right. Since I do not have a leg extension or leg curl machine, what are the other isolation exercises I can use in place of that? I've got this one a couple times on Instagram just from people who are jumping the program. Um, so leg curls. So there's there's leg curls and leg extensions can be complicated. Leg curls are much easier to substitute, but there's, again, this gets into semantics and it's not that important, but just because the way, you know, this podcast is about, this is the only platform I can get into semantics with it and, <laughs> and I can rant on like random shit. So there's two leg curl variations. There is a seated and a lying leg curl. And some would argue that you could consider the glute ham raise a leg curl because it technically is. It's knee flexion. So your knee is the joint moving. It's the lever that's moving, right? And then the hamstring is dominating the movement. But the lying leg curl and the glute ham raise are very similar in the sense that your hip is, is an extension and locked out. So if we do a seated leg curl, we are in a seated position, which means that my hip flexors are flexed, my hip is flexed, and I'm uh, flexing at the knee to contract my hamstrings. On a lying leg curl, my hips are extended, so they are locked out, and I'm flexing at the knee. Both are knee flexion hamstring dominant movements, but 
one is in a hip extended position and one is in a hip flex position. The reason I say that is because it's similar to if you do a dumbbell curl with your shoulder joint at neutral or extended position versus at a flex position, like a you can do a spider curl where you're like leaning over an incline bench and your elbows are in front of your face or they're by your side in a standing curl or a tricep uh, dumbbell skull crusher, your elbows are in front of your face up tall and you're in a stretch position versus a push down, your elbows are at your side. When you change the joint, you are tr- changing the head of the muscle that you are targeting and the the type of stretch and, and uh, contraction you're having in that muscle. So it makes it a little bit more difficult because a lying leg curl has a lot of easy subs. You can do a, a bench leg curl where you just drive your heels into the bench and bridge your hips up. But because you're actively driving your heels down into the bench, it is contracting your hamstrings more than your glutes like a normal bridge would. You can do a valve slide or some kind of slider if you have... I mean, you could put your feet on a like a tub of work lid on a turf or on a hand towel and, uh, like on uh, hardwood yep. and it, you'll do it. But like a slider leg curl, you can do a Swiss ball leg curl or fizzy ball leg curl. You can do a gliding leg curl. You can do a TRX leg curl. I mean, Jeez. there's tons of it. You can do a foam roller leg curl. By the way, all of these variations are on our YouTube channel, on the okay. Taylor Trainer YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube and type in Taylor Trainer, search leg curl. Or you can just do leg curl, Taylor Trainer on the YouTube search bar, and all that shit will pop up. So we film demos for all of them. But all of those variations are hips extended leg curls, mm. right? Um, which makes it a little bit more difficult because there's really no way to mimic a seated leg curl where your hips are in flexion outside of sitting on a bench and doing band leg curls. So you can put bands around your heels and then touch them like a squat bar, and you're just doing like a seated leg curl. Same exact way you would do it on a machine. Just you're pulling a band. It works. I don't personally like it because there's like, you can't have a straight path of movement. So if your heels are attached to the bands, like you're, they can move side to side, you know, kind of like if you're doing a dumbbell, they're not fixed. So they're shaking, which is fine because you need that stability. But with a seated leg curl, it just gets really kind of difficult to contract the muscles properly. In my opinion, Um, you'd almost be better off doing a single leg seated band leg curl because you can stabilize with one foot and then just focus on contracting the other um so that does work you can absolutely do that but the, here's the reality too is like if you do a lying leg curl you're going to hit all of the heads and you're going to hit one of the hamstring heads a little bit more if you do a seated leg curl you're going to hit all the heads and you're going to hit one of the hamstring a little bit more than this than the lying but it's it's again it's semantics so unless you're a pro bodybuilder which if you are you're going to a gym with all the equipment because you dedicate your life to this it's not that big of a fucking deal yep. i don't have a lying leg curl for example i only have a seated leg curl um and there's a machine as a lion leg curl? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you just... Uh, Lay in the ground? Remember the one we used to have that there was that bench that you would load? It was from my garage. It was like fucking wobbly. It was like a leg extension. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just a bench with a... a fo- yeah. Okay. You gotcha. just lie in your stomach gotcha. versus seated like the one we have yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so both both are great. Both work well. Um, I would plan on just... if I don't remember for sure, but I think that program has two days where you're doing leg curls. And if that's the case, choose two of these variations and just do one of them on each day. Um, one of the leg curls can be a gliding leg curl with a barbell and a squat rack and a bench. And then one can be a vol slide or a Swiss ball or whatever you want to do. Um, and you'll be totally fine. Leg extensions are difficult too, because leg extensions are the, the primary contraction of the movement itself is when you are in complete extension of your knee. And it is very difficult to mimic that because you need something that applies maximum force and intention at the top of the leg extension when you're contracting your leg. Um, it's very hard to do that because because any type of split squat or squat variation, the maximum point of tension is at the bottom when you're in a stretch position. Gotcha. But 
the thing is, is that based on the most recent research on hypertrophy, we know that the stretch phase is actually just as, if not more important, actually it, it's not just as it is more important yeah. based on new research than the shortening. So that top point of the uh, leg extension might not be as important as the bottom point. So they see more growth when somebody emphasizes the bottom portion of a leg extension by scooting forward and leaning back. So when I lean back, my hip flexors aren't as flexed and my knees glide forward if I lean, scoot my legs forward so that at the bottom of a leg extension, I have more flexion on my knee and I have a bigger stretch on my quad. So what you can do there is you can do any kind of sissy squat or you can even do a Bulgarian split squat. And if you have the, the range of motion, elevate your front foot so you get even more of a deep squat or a deep stretch on that quad at the bottom. Do them for high reps. So even if you don't add load, um, you can do 15 to 20 reps. So you, you accumulate more tension, in the muscle, more of a pump, because that's more similar to the isolation exercise sure. of a leg extension. Um, and then you can do one of two things here. So we're doing a body weight, either regular or uh, front foot elevated Bulgarian split squat or a sissy squat. I prefer Bulgarian split squat. I think it's a safer, more functional movement, but do one of two things for tension, either a grab a band with both hands and step on it on your front foot. So at the top of the Bulgarian split squat, the band gets tighter and tighter and tighter until you lock out your knee. What this does is it creates more tension at the lockout, which is the extension of the knee, which is the primary tension point of a leg extension. The other thing you can do is put a band around the back of your knee, like a Spanish squat, which would be another version of uh, a substitute you can use, and then attach that to a bench or a rack or something. So when you get to the top of the movement, your the back of your knee has to basically pull that band back, and that, again, creates more tension as you lock out your knee. So basically what we're doing here is we're choosing a squat variation, sissy, Spanish, or ideally a Bulgarian split squat. And then we're adding band tension by standing on the band and holding it with our hands or attaching it to the back of our knee in, a, in a, a squat rack in front of us so that we are creating a maximal contraction and more tension at the top of the movement when we are locking out the knee. That is going to be the best way to mimic a leg extension without totally. having a leg extension machine. Um, it's arguably more functional. Like if we also want a secondary goal of strength and just functional movement, that's probably even better, to be honest with you. Actually, yeah. I know it's better because it's more applicable. Yeah. There's plenty of times where you're bouncing on one leg or you have to step, do a long step on one leg or you're running or you fall or anything like that versus a leg extension isn't really... Just building muscle. Yeah, it, it's great for building muscle. Yeah. I love the leg extension, but it's not like a, a real-life application functional you movement, go. you know, so... Um, but yeah, long-winded answer, but I know there's a lot of people who have that question in and outside the program, but again, you can head to... Uh, you can just go to Train Heroic Marketplace. Uh, I think it's trainheroic.marketplace.com or something like that. But if you just go to trainheroic.com, you can check out the marketplace. Just search my name, Cody McBroom. My programs will all pop up. You can also just click the link in the description of this episode if you want to jump in one of the programs. We got a lot of people doing them. They're really, really good, and they're cheap as fuck for what value I bring. And I can promise you this, that as soon as the app launches, these will be all removed. So if you want access to this, you would get access for the full year, which is another cool thing. Yeah. Actually, I've never said that. If you buy it, you get access to it for a year. That's how long they let you have it before mm. it expires. Um, if you want it, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna remove access for people to getting it uh, within a year. So now's the time to get it, so you can have it now and later, essentially. But yeah, dope. All right, uh, we got one more question. It says, "Do beginner lifters benefit from a greater calorie surplus than advanced lifters since they have a greater capacity put to put on muscle mass?" Or because of the capacity, they should just eat a maintenance and get good results? That is a really, really good question. Um, beginners in the gym 
absolutely do have a greater capacity to build muscle and therefore they could probably utilize a calorie surplus better without putting on body fat. However, a beginner lifter also doesn't need a massive surplus to build muscle. So I'm going to answer this very quickly because what you said in your question essentially answers the question itself. That I mean, what you said is 1 million percent right, and I think you articulate it really well. So whoever asked this question, well done. Um, but the way I would give advice around this is basically to say, if you are a beginner in the gym and your primary goal is building muscle, my advice is to go into a surplus. You don't need a massive surplus, but I think you should go into a little surplus. I think that you will likely adapt well to the surplus. So you'll probably have an increased need and you won't put on a ton of fat anyway. And your body's going to be fucking using that to build muscle. Just make sure you're doing enough volume. You don't need a ton because you're new, but if you're eating a lot of food, you're going to recover. So you can do a little bit more. But point being is I don't think you need a huge surplus, but if your main goal is muscle growth, 100% go into a surplus, at least a small one, five, 10, maybe 15% at most. And just focus on building muscle. If your goal is more like recomp, like, yes, you're, you're after building muscle. You don't want to go into a deficit because your primary goal is not fat loss, but long-term you want to be lean and you, you are afraid of putting on bad weight. So this is for the person that is not like the scrawny guy who wants to get huge, uh, more so the person who wants to look lean and look good, but they know they don't need a deficit because they're brand new to lifting. I think you should just stay at maintenance mm. because you are going to build muscle without a doubt. You would probably build muscle in a deficit because you're brand new to lifting, but you shouldn't go into a deficit because you want to build muscle and you're probably not going to recover well since you've never lifted before. So the novelty of lifting is going to be a huge stress. So you need to be at least at maintenance, but you will still gain. You will gain slower than the person who's at, at a surplus, but you will definitely still gain because you're new in the gym and you can save yourself from putting on too much fat and having to cut it later. So um, again, if you are like, dead set on, I just want to get big. I want to build muscle as my primary goal. Yes. Go into a little surplus because you have a greater capacity to build muscle right now, which means you probably have a better capacity to actually utilize those calories for muscle growth. Um, but if you are fearful of gaining fat and you just want to slowly build muscle so you can look better, stay at maintenance, build muscle, lift heavy, you'll, you'll get great results. Yep. So cool. That was the last question, guys. Perfect. Uh, as always, guys, make sure if you love this podcast, share it with a friend. We want to get this information out to more people to help more people um, and to get into more people's headphones to give them free information on coaching, fitness and nutrition and lifestyle, all that good stuff. Uh, if you do love this podcast and you've already shared it with a friend, share it with another, but make sure you leave us a five star rating and review. Um, as always, we appreciate you and we will catch you next time.